listening to the Strange Fruit Podcast, where we discuss topics that deal with black lives on a day-to-day basis. You know the things that you want to say, but you can't say? Well, that's what we're here for. Be sure to check out our Facebook page, the Strange Fruit Podcast Facebook page. Hello, hello, hello. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Strange Fruit Podcast. My name is Nikki Brooks. I'm joined with my co-host. Adrian Neely. Bishop Green. (laughs) And we're going to jump in today. Now, we're doing this broadcast right around the time when... Right now we're on, uh, we're not really on lockdown anymore, but uh, we're in a pandemic as most of you know, if you've been following just living in America and following us, you know that we kind of started this during this time. And um, I'm really excited about our guest today. And I think it's very pertinent that we hear from this individual because as you know, right now, our illustrious uh, POTUS slash Oh, I'm trying hard to be respectful. Cheeto in chief <laughs> is um in the hospital with COVID. There's been a flurry of uh you know information surrounding it, and you know along the, the line, you know he's it, we uh, Trump has said that it's a hoax. You know, there's been this uh, that it's a fake virus thing, but the reality is that within the black community, just within the community period in America, it is very real. It is not a hoax. Um. I've had a loved one, actually two loved ones, to get it, and both to be extremely ill in ICU on ventilators. Uh-huh. Um, two church members of mine passed away in the same week of COVID. Uh, one uh, only like a year or two older than me, leaving behind three children mm-hmm. my age um, and a husband widowed. They've been married 20 plus years. So it's very, very real. And so today's guest, I think, is very, very pertinent. And I have with us uh, one of our precious most valuable frontline uh, workers whose name is Dr. Tamara Beckford. She's out of Houston, Texas, and she's an emergency medicine specialist. Now, um, Dr. Beckford is, she's board certified emergency physician. She's got over a decade of experience working in the hospitals, and she's been out here on the front line battling this surge of COVID-19. And um, she's actually been recognized as what's called a COVID hero by the New Jersey Academy of Science. And she's a founder, CEO of You Are Caring Docs, which is a telemedicine urgent care company. And this is just uh, they help people see the doctor quickly for non-medical problems. And so um, anyway, I really want to hear from her because and uh, we want you guys to hear from her. She's in the Houston area, but of course we want to hear more about her telemedicine. And I really want Dr. Beckford to just kind of speak to us. So Dr. Beckford, welcome to the Strange Fruit Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. What a wonderful yes. introduction. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. What a wonderful thing that you're doing and the service that you are providing. And um, I just want to jump in so that people can hear from you. So kind of tell us about your journey into medicine. Sure. So my journey into medicine, actually, I was one of the fortunate ones who thought about um, going into a healthcare. Um, field from early. So when I say early, for me, this was around um, high school. 
So I, at the time, I was living in New Jersey, um, in Newark, New Jersey, and there is a medical school there. Um, it was called the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And they had um, programs available for uh, those who wanted to have an introduction into the healthcare field. So nice. at that time, um, and these were summer programs. So at that time, I actually um, initially wanted to be a pharmacist. So I applied for the summer program and I um, was introduced to the pharmacy section of the hospital. So the great thing about that school is that the med school is attached to the hospital. Nice. So, yeah, so we, you know, were paired off. I was paired off with someone from the pharmacy department. However, I think at the time, um, the pharmacy department didn't really know what to do with a high school student. I mean, at that point, your level of um, what's going on in the pharmacy world and so on is not really that vast. So because of that, they paired me and they put me into the basement to start filing medical records in numerical order. <laughs> so I was like, mm, okay. Now, if you guys have ever had medical records, you know that that's at least like nine to 10 digits. Can you imagine? That's not the, that fun. Yeah, absolutely. And this is not the electronic version of putting it in numerical order. This is the physical box and paper version. <laughs> right. No. So unfortunately, my yeah, experience no, no. with the pharmacy um, department kind of made me say, hmm, I don't know if this is what I would like to do. Um, I want to have a little bit more FaceTime interaction with patients. And so the next summer, I reapplied for the program and I asked, you know, this time I'd like to be paired into the career of being a doctor. And I got introduced to that and I got to shadow doctors. Um, yes. And that's when my passion really began to ignite. And I was like, this is really what I'd like to do. I like the, you know, the face to face. I like, um, coming up with treatment plans. And then as time progressed, um, while I was in undergrad, I was um, able to get exposed to emergency medicine. And, you know, it's interesting because I didn't even know that that existed at that time. And I was one of those people that looked and sought, and my family helped me to look mm -hmm. for programs that, you know, piqued my interest. And I found another program that had me shadowing an ER doc. And uh, it's one of those things that it was meant to be. As soon as I started shadowing those um, doctors, that's when I realized, I'm like, this yeah. is really what I'd like to do. And interestingly, you had some too, mentor absolutely. kind of coaching yes. in it. Yeah. So interestingly, one of the doctors whom I shadowed, and this is actually my first time even putting it out there, was um, one of the three docs. You've seen the three docs? Um, mm -hmm. Samson, oh, cool. So Samson very... Davis, who is an ER doc, he was doing nice. his residency at the time. And so I would shadow him, I'd shadow his like attending and so on. And when I got into that environment, because Samson is also from that same area, Newark, and uh, well, New Jersey area, I should say. And but yeah. it was just really good seeing people like you mentioned mentorship, people who looked like you who were doing things. And um my interest in emergency medicine was sparked. And of course, a few years later, this big book, The Three Doctors came out and I'm looking like, wow, this is, this is, I know him, <laughs> you know, I've shadowed him. Wow. So um, mentorship 
as you are mentioning, is a great portion of um, what has gotten me because you get to see someone who is um, a step ahead of you, a few steps ahead of you, and then you know that you also can do it. So yeah. that's that's my introduction into medicine. It was actually a beautiful one for me. That's awesome. As a parent, what sparks for me is, and living in the Houston area, mm -hmm. I immediately think about um, some of the magnet programs that are available. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, being that you went through a program and then in high school that started and you came out, basically, the vision became the end. You know, right. um, I think that just speaks to the importance of those programs and the importance Absolutely. of education, which is probably something that, man, we probably need to unpack on a whole other podcast, God, because <laughs> we're talking about education and funding and uh, risk and things <laughs> like that. But that's really, really, really a great, um, a great thing. It's awesome to know that you were a product of that. Absolutely. I think for us in, um, in Jersey, they call it like a pipeline. I'm not sure if they do that down here, but I'm considered a pipeline student. And that nice. I think that there are a few of them that, um, as you mentioned with Magnet, um, I think that they they track because that there were funding that was going towards, a lot of these were government funded programs for um, students to do during mm -hmm. the summer. And, um, you know, one of the good thing about the programs during that time is that when you're a summer, you, you know, in the summer, you quote unquote, you don't know really what you're gonna do. And yeah. these programs, you could get a stipend so not only so it's as if you were getting money to mm -hmm. go and get education. So yeah. at the end of the program, you'll have a little. I mean, it mm -hmm. might not have been a big amount, but I think in the end, like maybe you'd get two hundred dollars. And if you think about it, if you're high school well, student, 13, absolutely, you know, thirteen, fourteen years old, and you do this program and you get a little money, it's it's good. And then you also get to see others who are interested in the same thing that you're interested in. Wow. Awesome. So you're in Houston now. Correct. Right? So that's your journey into medicine. Absolutely. What brought you from Jersey to Houston? Oh, okay. So interestingly, as we talk about pipeline, this is how the pipeline works. Eh? In after um, graduate school, I while I was in graduate school, I should say, I applied to um, a few medical schools because this is one of the things I do want to point out to those who are listening, who are students who want to pursue any type of um, professional career. Your path might not be easy. It might not be an A to B to C. So I didn't immediately get into medical school when I applied the first time. I didn't get in. So I went to graduate school improved um, my application, and then I got in during that time. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, I attended the same school that I did all those summer programs in 10 wow. to 12 years <laughs> earlier. Full circle. Full circle. So wow. um, although I, I did get into a few other medical schools at the time, I ended up going to that um, school. And um, I did my training afterwards in emergency medicine in Philadelphia. Now, during that time, there were tons and tons of snowstorms. I like warm weather. <laughs> so after dealing with multiple <laughs> snowstorms, and if it's one thing that um, you know about emergency medicine, 
the emergency medicine, you always have to be there, right? So unfortunately, there are very, very few times that you can quote unquote call out because the way how it goes, it's one person passes on to the next person that passes on to the next person during the shift. So once my shift ends, I'm passing it on to Nikki. So I'm waiting for Nikki to come in so that I can go home. And then Nikki will wait for Adrian and then so on and so forth. So if any one of us doesn't show up, the other person has to stay until someone can show up because, you know, patients are going to always come in. So during that time, there were many um, storms. I mean, like 36 inches on Monday, then 36 inches came back again on Wednesday. And I got a little bit just over over it. (laughs) I'm tired of the cold. I'm tired of the dreariness. So I looked down south (laughs) and I said, okay. So I looked here and I looked at, um, I think I I thought about like Florida also, but Texas, uh, when I came to interview down here, what drew me to Texas was just how there was a lot of, um, it was still a multicultural city. And coming from the Northeast, you're used to a lot of cultures. And when I came down here, I actually started people watching in the Galleria area. And I sat and I looked around and I saw people from many different cultures. And I said, okay, this is something that I feel that I can be a part of versus, because I'll tell you, honestly, a lot of people from the North, when they think about Texas, they, they get very myopic yes. in their views. They really think cowboys Absolutely. and Indians. They really do. Yes. I, I spent a couple years uh, on a project in um, North Bergen, New Jersey, which uh, in Manhattan, which is where the two uh, places were. And everyone in my hood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was in your hood. And, you know, so people would be, oh, you're from Texas? Oh, it's, uh, you know, y'all so slow down there. You know, people would really... Um, at, you know, they really had a lot of stereotypes about it, you know, which is a vast, you know, it's a long distance between those two places. So I get it. Absolutely. But yeah, people totally had Texas misunderstood. Yes. So it was and great. This is extremely diverse. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the diversity drew me and I loved it here. Interestingly, most of my family are slowly starting to move from New Jersey to Texas <laughs> because nice. of that. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's um officially the most diverse city in the country. I well, uh, yes, as yeah. of twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. What? Mm. Oh, it is indeed. It is, uh, Doctor Beckford. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, tell people like myself how sure. does uh, telemedicine, so, telemedicine work? is an avenue for you to be able to get in contact with a healthcare professional. For me, you'll get in contact with a doctor. So you can do this. There are two avenues of using telemedicine. You have the video telemedicine, and then you also have telemedicine through the phone. So when you contact a a physician or a nurse, nurse practitioner, physician assistants, or any healthcare provider, and you're going through the phone and you're saying like, hey, my this and this and that and that, that's actually a form of telemedicine because you're not physically in front of the provider. The video telemedicine does the same thing. So um, telemedicine, the 
positive about it is that it affords you the opportunity to see the healthcare provider. And for me, with my company, you'd see the doctor on video from the comfort of and the privacy of wherever you're, you are, whether it be your home or your car. So it uh, is pretty simple in some respect. There are a few steps that one would have to take. Um, sometimes you'll have to maybe download an app, but once mm -hmm. you click that app and you, you know, you sign all the privacy paperwork, just like you would do if you went to the emergency room or if you went to your doctor's office, all those paperwork that gives them permission to see you, you sign that and then you click, you'll get a link and you're face to face mm -hmm. with your provider. You're face to face with the person. Absolutely. So it's, it's wow. really is a great way to bring medicine to those who are probably um, bedridden at that time, right? If you are, if you're feeling mm -hmm. so ill that you just don't feel like getting in your car and driving and sitting at the doctor's office or, you know, going to the urgent care or going to the ER. So it, it affords you that opportunity to be seen from the comfort of your home anytime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, those those are good advantages uh, there. So yeah, I could, you know, I can uh, oh, I can see why that would uh, benefit someone. Definitely. So, Doctor Beckford, um, so now you're starting your own, you're on your own new venture, right? Uh, what made you start uh, your caring doc? So I started it. I thought about um, ways, as we said, I am an ER doctor. So as an ER doc, I see the multitude of um, patients, things that are super, super serious, like gunshot wounds, stab wounds, you know, motor vehicle accidents, big traumas. And I also see like the heart attacks, deliver babies. If, you know, they can't make it upstairs, I'll be delivering it. But in between all of that, sometimes I see some patients where um, I look and I said, this could really be taken care of through telemedicine. And uh, I often some think about some of the reasons why the person came into the emergency department. And a lot of times I'll notice that I'm seeing these patients at odd hours. So you won't see some of these small minor care like times during the day. You'll probably see it like around 2.30 a.m. Or they uh -huh. signed in at 11 p. And, you know, because of all the other more serious patients that get triaged, ahead of them because the ER is not a first come first serve. It's just the sickest mm -hmm. scene first. Then, you know, they okay. end up waiting. And when you finally mm -hmm. see them, you know, I'm like this, I could have really handled this really, really quickly in five minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And it could have been from the comfort of their home. The other thing that also yeah. um, gets me is that they're paying a big ER bill for something that really is an urgent care issue. And okay. asking some of um, these patients, you know, politely, it's not a judgmental question. It's just a, you know, well, what made you come in during this particular time? Some of the answers were either if they did have a family doctor, they couldn't get in contact with them because their issue occurred during a time where the office was closed and they themselves yeah. had to go back to work. So their office and their own job have the same hours, right? So this is the time yeah. that I can get seen and so on. 
And then you have some um, people who it's, I, you know, don't have a family doctor. So I just have to go to the ER for these care. And, uh, um, you know, so you have people, you have just varying, but those are some of the big um, reasons. And it made me realize that, you know, there's an opportunity to provide this care for these people. And, you know, at a cost that it's affordable to them. It should be like, I understand the emergency room is there for big emergencies, but we can also help to offset some of the costs for the smaller things and also yeah. have it convenient for that person. Right. So that's what made me decide to put together the telemedicine urgent care. That's awesome. I've been to your website. I've looked on your Facebook page. I know that on the um that people can literally create an appointment right there from Facebook um or go into your website and do so, um uh, which is really awesome. But I I'd like to hear more about how um in your opinion this has like, you know, benefited or making you know, what's the benefit or beneficial or even maybe importance of it to the black community, to the African American community as far as like telemedicine mm -hmm. um you know what could motivate um uh, the african-american community to use telemedicine you know just kind of your own words what is the the importance there and then also too with COVID on the rise um kind of talk about that as well that um kind of what you've uh you've been seeing and maybe just um kind of you know share with us there oh absolutely absolutely so when i when I began to envision um, the patients who were coming into the emergency department, um, the ones I spoke about, um, some of the patients were small business owners, and there were, you know, they had like there were barbershop owners, they had um, like you know stylists and so on. And uh, one of the things that it made me realize is that as a small business owner. You can have your business. Some people have medical insurance and some people don't. And then those who, because you're an independent um, person, a lot of times your medical insurance or your health insurance can have like a very high copay. So it made me think about those people. I said, well, why should someone who has worked so hard and this is what I see, like, you know, in our community who has worked so hard to make a profit for this month and say your profit ends up being like a twelve hundred dollars, sixteen hundred if you know, and, and then lose that entire profit from just one visit for a minor medical issue. It just kept yeah. going through my mind like over and yeah. over, you know, you know, mm. and uh, so I feel that. Within our community, we have a lot of people who are entrepreneurs in the Black community. And I love that. <laughs> you know, also, statistically, let's just be honest. You will fare better if you're treated by someone who looks like you. Yeah. Well, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And we had a conversation about that on our podcast briefly about just African American women and um, mm -hmm. you know, healthcare. But uh go ahead, please you know, tell us more about And it's so interesting because while I um this is just a, a quick story too. While I was putting together the thoughts about this, I, I did put a 
question out on a Facebook group that is, um, it's a people of color Facebook group. Um, that's what they call it, POC, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. skin group. And I asked them, you know, do you guys use telemedicine and so on? Just trying to get a feel for, you know, doing a little quote unquote market research. And one of the young ladies, she pointed something out. And this is something that it really struck me to my heart. She says, I am afraid to use telemedicine because when I do go to the ER for my medical issues, I feel like they ignore me a lot of times. So I feel like it will probably be worse going through telemedicine. And, you know, that struck me and I, you know, I responded to her that I'm so sorry that some of my colleagues have, you know, we have failed you in that respect for you to feel that way, because we all, our oath is to take care of people. And, uh, but it's one of those thought process I'm glad that she put forth because when I I take care of patients it's always in my mind rest assured I always ensure that I try to to um take excellent care of people to make you feel comfortable that's just my natural personality you know I step in the room and it's it's as if hey we you know we've known each other for a long time and but when she made that comment I know that I now need to make sure I pay even more attention when I do go in because there is that stigma, you know, that African, and I mean, it's in the statistics. This is not anything yes. that I'm talking about through, yeah. you know, that African-American women mm-hmm. are perceived to be, have a higher right. tolerance of pain and, yeah. you know, and so on. So I ensure that when I do go in the room, that I try to put them at ease, not be judgmental, and try my best to educate my patient. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that I feel um, at times. Mm. Some of the decisions that are made are just through the lack of education. The well, you know, and that's a bad for doctors that don't look like us, unfortunately, mm. it takes a while sometimes for them to get familiar with what things look like on people of color you know um i had a a serious story is my son went into the hospital with kawasaki syndrome when he was like three Mm -hmm. and they thought that um they thought he was like burned in boiled water because he had like like his skin is fluffing off yeah, skin is mm. peeling off, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but when you look at the pictures of Kawasaki, to me, they look the same as the symptoms they were presenting. And what was interesting is there was a whole team. He got transferred to the, the hospital. They had residents come in. And um, it was a more experienced doctor after a couple of days that was like, no, this is what this is. Mm-hmm. And um, because this is what it looks like. And just with some of the residents around the bed at the time, it was kind of like a, oh. Okay. No, you know, it's true. This. It's true. Yeah, I'll mean, tell you from our training, yeah. most of like dermatology, most of our dermatological training, when you look at the books, and like we said, this is all statistics. This is not me just mm-hmm. pouring out, um, you know, thoughts. The books show the disease processes, just like Nikki mm-hmm. mentioned, on people that do not look like us. And so when you are seeing this 
um like even when we talk about like cellulitis and i even i even did a i just did a, a um a, a facebook um live video on cellulitis which is like a skin infection you know you'll see redness and so on but if you're dark skin let's just be real like are you gonna see red if you're no chocolate and so these are factors that unfortunately if you look even online and look for anything about cellulitis you rarely see it in an african-american or a black skin person so these are things that medicine knows i think they are trying um, I've heard recently that there is a, there, there are some black dermatologists who are, you know, trying to educate that are, yeah. it presents differently and our skin and our pigment, skin pigment. It's mm-hmm. just, you're not going to see what it looks like from the book because <laughs> these books weren't written <laughs> for people that look like us. They're, you know, they're written for people who are either fair skinned or um, exactly. like Caucasian or from that um, realm and skin tone. So tell so- us about. Oh, go ahead, guys. You know, Doc, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to ask. I'm sorry to cut in. Uh, I was just going to ask Dr. Bedford. Uh, I think it's wonderful that you uh, take it upon yourself to. Um, you know, make sure that the customer or, or the patient is uh, comfortable and, and is secure enough to, you know, to be seen by you and, and to be handled by you. A lot of doctors, uh, you know, from my experience with myself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, they're, they're unfamiliar and they're uncomfortable themselves. And you can definitely tell that energy uh, that's there. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know, um, what portion, um, do you think that we as, uh, in the Mm -hmm. black community, what, you know, it's not really our fault that they're uncomfortable with us sometimes, but is there, you know, you said lack of knowledge, what, what are some, you know, sources or, (laughs) um, you know, or how can they, how can they find you? I'll just put it out there. How, how can they locate you? uh online um you know and and that way they they can have a source uh to where they can educate themselves and, and be educated because like like you said Absolutely. it's you know it's it's kind of mm-hmm. you know what they're up against and, and especially mm-hmm. black women especially black women they get second class treatment you know uh when they when they get in the er or in the surgeries it, like you say they they believe mm-hmm. black women have you know, how higher tolerance to, to pain, okay. uh, things like that. Just, mm-hmm. just things we've heard over the, the years, you know, and it's Absolutely. not true, you know, it's, you know, you feel pain just like the next person feels pain, you know? So, um, so, you know, how can we so locate am you? What, at, um, where can we find you online? Your caring docs. It actually has an S on it. Um, your, which is U R C A R I N G D O C S, um, dot com. And I'm also on Facebook slash Your Caring Docs. One of the, um, to answer one of your questions um, that you posed about how can the community help um, itself, like say if you're going to your regular doctor for um, checkups and so on. One of the things that I've often mentioned is that 
data is something that can't be denied, right? So mm -hmm. you being an advocate for yourself is good. If you bring your, one of the common things I'll start off by saying that um, people often say is, hey, you know, say for example, they have high blood pressure or they have diabetes, you'll often hear people say, I wanna get off some of these meds. Yeah. Right? And uh, it's not impossible. Now, mm -hmm. if you're on three or four blood pressure medications, the likelihood for you to get off all three or four is low. However, you might be able to bring yourself down to just needing mm. and requiring one, right? Mm -hmm. Now, right. if you are going to venture onto that with the health, um, you know, you're changing your eating habits and you're going to try to exercise more. The best way to communicate with your doctor is that you keep track of your progress. So you keep track, if your issue is blood pressure, you keep track of your blood pressure. Do your morning and your evening blood pressure and write it down. Now, say mm -hmm. you decided that you wanted to try to see if you can get your blood pressure improved by, you know, the two things we mentioned, the diet and the exercise. And you're not going to go crazy. You're going to just start by probably just walking around your neighborhood and mm -hmm. um, getting in that, you know, a little bit of that cardiovascular. If you stop taking one, now I would not recommend you stop taking all four or three because there's obviously a reason why you need all of that, right? If you start taking, you stop taking one, but you do those things and you write right. down, you know, this is my blood pressure in the morning, evening, and this is my weight. You start looking and see if you're seeing a correlation as my weight, I'm starting to lose weight. Wow, I've dropped five pounds. And my blood pressure seems to be stable on these three medications. Usually um, for general checkups, it's usually around like every three months for like a family doctor, internal medicine doctor checkup, right? If you bring that data to your doctor, it can't be denied. Like, hey, well, maybe, yeah, we can, you know, take off one of these meds. You just continue doing what you're doing. And then, you know, you come back to me again in another three months and then we'll see where you are. And you do the same thing. You know, you keep it. So data can't be denied. Now, yeah. if you stop right. taking your medication and you're just saying, hey, doc, I want to be off my meds and you just stop taking your medicine and you have not brought any data with you. Say, for example, at home, your pressures, your pressures could have been good or they could they could be horrible, but you won't know because you're not checking. Right. When you go to the doctor's office and they see this extremely high pressure then they're thinking, mm -hmm. well, you don't care because you stopped taking your medicine and your pressures are just high. But it's not that. It's just that you want to try to get yourself off of this medication. But the best way for them to see that and to for communicate is through data. Yeah. The exact same thing happens for blood sugar. I want to get off some of these di diabetic medications. Do the exact same thing. Keep a track and bring it with you. Because this it, is good info. <laughs> hmm. hey, man. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I got a couple of friends. I'm gonna make sure they hear this podcast because I mean uh they're, they're on several medications and one medication wow. is messing with the other, but they yeah. were prescribed by different doctors. And I'm just like, okay, uh guy have one doctor because you you get all these different synopsis 
Absolutely. going on and you know yeah you'll, you'll start and, to and get you can mix, end up causing uh, more harm than good you know, reviews if you're uh, if one person is only getting right. part of the info and the other person is only getting part of the info that's kind of like you telling me about this movie but you only told me about the ending and then another person is telling me about mm -hmm. the movie another movie but just told me about the beginning and then yeah. i'm supposed to understand what that whole movie was about <laughs> you see so a great analogy. Exactly. Exactly. That's what, I like that. I like that. Dr. Beck, that. I had a question for you that I just, um, I've been hearing a lot lately about um, Black people participating in, in uh, clinical trials. Mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts on that? Because there seems to be a lot of pushback, like Black people are saying, no, we don't want to be experimented on. This is a way to force us to maybe take the vaccine first, if and when it's offered and things of that nature. But the doctors seem to all argue that it's a way to um, get the make sure that black people are included in these studies. So, so how do you feel about that? So I think that's an interesting question. And someone asked me about this, too. So I think there are two parts to that. Okay. The first part is it is understandable why black people are so um, skeptical about that. Right. The history in this country. It's easy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Henrietta yeah. lacks, you know. So um, even um, some of the gynecological instruments, I think Dr. Sachs, you know, they oh, did yeah. all those um, gynecological surgeries on black slaves. Correct. So it's understandable yeah. why there yes. is such a, a huge yes. skepticism from the black community. Now, um, from the standpoint of medicine, I understand also from the physician's standpoint in that, you know, because of that lack, we, mm -hmm. we don't really have as much data on us as Black people. Now, what I thought right. that could help us, and this is probably, this is not going to be an um, answer that will be able to be done immediately. But when we're putting together these trials and these testing for people of color, it'll be great if we can have the people who are in multiple as um, avenues of the trial look like us. When I say that, I'm talking about, so it's not just the recruiter, <laughs> because, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I don't need just the recruiter yeah. to look like us. What about those in pharmaceutical industry who are coming up with the, the trial and the testing, those in research and development? I mean, there are a lot of very intelligent Black people in all these sectors. What about yeah. the pharmacy company itself who owns, like, you know, if we can get some of those bids out, to us, we'll feel more comfortable yeah. having people that look like us saying, hey, we need to run mm. these tests. You know, wouldn't we feel more comfortable doing that versus if it's someone who's coming outward and then the only person that yeah. like us is the recruiter? Right. You're <laughs> absolutely right. 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 Yeah. Just... Right. You just got so a black face. So it would be great and, if we can, you know, it. be able to black provide yeah. the opportunity yeah. for our so um, specialists and scientists and pharmacists and 
pharmacy owners and research and developers to have this opportunity to have a seat at the table to help to put together yeah. these tests. So wow. that's my thought process on that. That's a, no, that's very, that's a great answer. That's right. Yeah. That's, it's thorough. Yeah, that's and that's thorough. I'm glad that's very thorough. thorough. I like that. I like that approach. People like you myself know. have to sit with it for a minute. Like we, when when you have an emotional response, um, especially historically, to things like this, and especially with all the fears that we as mm -hmm. Black Americans often carry, the legitimate fears, when we get new data, it's very. You guys sit with that for a minute. <laughs> like, right. you know, mm -hmm. and, and it has to be, um, and often it's layered. And a lot of times people <laughs> will throw one or two stats at us and then be like, well, this is what you should do. Oh, you don't want to do this. That's because it's either you're too emotional or it's not, you know, you're not being smart about it. So I, I value and appreciate uh, that answer. That's good. Yeah. Good stuff. Really good. Absolutely. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. So oh, um, there was a question. Mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. did want, you did ask me about the COVID <laughs> experience. Yes. If you don't mind, I, I will take Yes. 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 I know we, we, we got off in such great convo <laughs> that we, we didn't end up <laughs> yeah. um, talking ahead. about that. Yeah. So, I'd like to know about all about your COVID experience, um, how it has, you know, how has your caring docs responded? What have you seen? Just tell me you know, kind of um, all about it, because at the end of the day, we are in the middle of a pandemic Absolutely. and we're getting ready to enter flu season, Absolutely. which is extremely, extremely important yep. that, um, mm -hmm. you know, we hear some feedback from frontliners. Yep. So Absolutely. so please uh, share with us, Doc. So I'll tell you that um, COVID, the experience of mm -hmm. um, taking care of COVID patients, taking care of yourself, like oneself as a healthcare provider, during the pandemic, it had a, a few layers. Um, we are here in Houston, so we got the wave, that COVID wave, we got ours in July, right? Mm -hmm. In the yeah. Northeast, where we were getting a lot of our data, they got their wave back in March. So what happened down here is that in March, a lot of um, the hospitals were preparing for the COVID surge because we just felt it was just going to be a big wave. So, um, you know, you I actually remember being in the ER the day when they said the first COVID patient is at a hospital right next door. And by the way, they're going to be passing through our hospital. And, you know, that strikes a little bit of panic in you because yeah. number one, we're still learning about this virus. Like, is it airborne or is it just droplets or is it this or that? Oh, you can wear just a cloth mask. Oh, no, you know, you need an N95. Oh, use an N95. Well, I'm sorry, we're running out of N95s. So now we just need you to use this. You know, it's just like, well, there's so many layers of information and the information was changing at least three to four times a day. So you can imagine, and this is all about protective gear. <laughs> so it's like, what? So wait a minute, which one mm -hmm. of this is really going to protect me? So it brought about a, yes. a level of anxiety um, for the healthcare workers, those of us who are on the front line. Because one of the things about yeah. emergency medicine is that anyone who steps into the ER 
you never know if someone has this particular illness or they don't, right? We are the, usually the ones who start the diagnostic testing and then we, we might find the answer, you know, mm -hmm. our results come back within that time frame, and it says, yes, this person has blank. Now we, um, you know, admit them to the hospital. When they go upstairs, they're already going upstairs with a diagnosis, right? As mm -hmm. opposed to when they walk yeah. into the ER, they're just patient number blank. So you don't know what you're stepping into. So that brought about this level of anxiety for me, you know, wondering how can I protect my family? Um, you know, I started thinking about my wit, like, you know, writing a will. And, um, you know, I started putting together plans of, hey, if this happens to me, this is what I want you to do. Because I have two young kids. Now they're four and two. At that point, it was three and one. And Aww. <laughs> yes. So you <laughs> working know, moms. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you have to think about that. Like, how am I going to make sure that my kids are safe? And as we still don't know how does this virus affect children, we, we don't know what it's sequelae. So all of that went through my mind. Now, moving forward mm -hmm. in July, when the virus really did hit, rear its ugly head here in our Houston area, it was all that they say it is. I mean, you have even patients who have had mild, some of the mild cases of COVID will come in with panic stricken because they said, I didn't feel like I could breathe a little while ago. I couldn't take that deep breath in. It's one of the, the, the um, common um, themes that I kept hearing. And, you know, this person's oxygen level was pretty good. And you said, well, you know, your oxygen is good. Here are some of the steps to take care when you're at home. And if this happens, then you return, right? So not everybody who has COVID, because you have it, they automatically got admitted. Some people were able to be discharged and you said you need to isolate. Now, some of the ones who did have those low oxygen levels. So usually you're admitted right. to the hospital. If your oxygen is uh, the cutoff, some places are 91, some places it's 92% is when your oxygen. If So the way that we test that is you use a, a, it's a little monitor that they put on your finger. And if you go to the ER or to your doctor's office, they'll usually put on a little monitor similar to that. And I, I think I made a video about this too, where I call the COVID toolkit on um on my facebook so if anyone i can go and like you know let you know about that too where it has a pulse ox it shows you how much oxygen is within the body right so if that oxygen is less than 92 percent and you're having that shortness of breath and you're you can barely answer questions like you're well you know like those patients are not going home you know, they're yeah. going to be admitted because the concern is that this virus is a virus that likes to attack mm. the, the respiratory tract, which is the lungs area, and cause a pneumonia and just scar the lungs. So those patients are staying in, you know, in case they get worse. And I've had to intubate, um, you know, COVID patients. And I've had patients who were doing well at like a long-term um, care facility, they, you know, were looking so good. Like, wow, you know, this person was able to now, he was not on the vent, but well, he was on the vent, pardon me, got off the vent, mm -hmm. improving, doing well. Even that day, got up 
and was walking. They called it the shower mm. test, which is basically you were able to, with help, get up and walk and take a shower. Is if you, I mean, that's something we all take for granted, right? But if you really think about the dynamics of you getting up and being able to step into a shower, stand up the entire time to enjoy your shower, mm. turn around in the shower. Like if you're so weak and deconditioned, you're not even being, you're not even able to do that. So, yeah, so that person was able to do some of that shower test. More than likely, they were able to sit in the shower right. on a shower chair. But in four hours after that, the patient started having breathing problems again. Mm -hmm. And within six hours, that patient had to be intubated. Now, this is someone that oh. went from being so good that they're able to walk with help to the shower talking you know to the nurses and so on to now being back on the ventilator because they've yeah. gotten so ill again so yeah. that's the thing about this virus i you know it's just it's relentless it gives you a hint yeah. as if you're doing better and then you just start to feel bad again or then it just gets worse and then wow. you know so it, it's it's a virus that it's not to be taken lightly yeah yeah. It's not to be taken not a lightly. It's a, it's a, you know, you have right. to, to do your part to it's protect yourself. And this is uh, another thing, too, that I've often said to people. You might be healthy, right? But right. Mm -hmm. what about your family members? Now, is what about grandma? What about great-grandma? Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're yeah. 16 and great-grandma is like, you know, 85, you 86, go. you love being around great-grandma. That's lovely. But are you protecting yourself so that you do not carry it to great grandma? Yeah. Most definitely. You know? So those are some of the things that we have to think about. Because right. some people are on medications right. that suppress their immune yeah. system. I had this one guy that's on, um, he has this disease yeah. called myasthenia gravis. Okay. And um, what that does is that it's a disease that attacks the muscles within the body. So each time you use the muscle, it becomes more fatigued each time. So if you think about yourself trying to lift weights, right? Now the first time you're good, but then after the fourth, fifth, sixth rep, you're like, oh, wow, dude, I can barely lift that weight up. I was doing so good. Now, can you imagine the eighth or ninth rep? You're barely getting it off because your muscle has fatigued with each use. So mm -hmm. it's similar to um, what happens with myasthenia gravis. So this person is on medications and it's an, it's a, um, an auto type immune disease. So this person is on medications for this and he and his wife, his wife looks at him at 8 p.m. and says, hmm, he doesn't look too good. And in by 10 p.m. he's in the ER almost like two steps away from being intubated. And the only reason why he was not immediately intubated mm. is because, as we say, that these patients, they don't do well on when they get intubated immediately because they might not come off the vent. So now this person is someone who got exposed to this unbeknownst, right? right? So th it's it's going, it's around, it's there, it's... It's not to be taken lightly. That's right. Yeah. What with what... 
Yeah, as yeah. Nikki was just saying, is we're we're about actually we are in the flu se- season, uh, but I mean mm-hmm. it, this there's another wave, particularly in Texas, that I fear is coming. And you know I'm no doctor, uh, uh, you mm-hmm. know, but I mean common sense would tell me that you know Texas did not handle this correctly, um, and you know I'm going to just uh, mm-hmm. uh, keep all my words cordial. Uh, about our governor, uh, the way that he went about it. I, you know, look, I understand we got to maintain business and economy, um, but it's, it's past that. It's, it's about what you just stated. You don't know if you have it or not. You could be asymptomatic and, and, and give this, give this off to someone else, which it just behooves Mm -hmm. me to, to see so many eating in these restaurants, uh, I'm I'm out in Midland, Texas, Doctor Beckford, oh. and um, here I can tell you that a lot of them never really quarantined uh, at all. Um, you know because mm-hmm. hey, they they follow what the the political blue lines uh, would go with. You know, and uh, you know, but now here we are. Um, I know what you're mm-hmm. stating is true because. I also had a uh, mm-hmm. relative. I had an uncle that passed away from COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. and he was. Mm-hmm. They took him off the ventilator, and he was fine. And then within a day, he, you know, he passed away. Mm-hmm. Within just days from that, so uh, that's why it's 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 ultra scary to me. Yeah. I don't live in fear, but like you said, I you know to all our listeners, you have to be cautious. Just be cautious. Absolutely. I'm not telling anyone to fear. You know, I'm not telling you not to have faith, but I am telling you to be wise and 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 be cautious. Um, you know, um, so um I don't know if there's anything uh that you would mm-hmm. recommend. You okay. know, I've heard of elderberry being a a, a great way to, to uh boost the immune system. Uh do you do you see uh any sure. other uh, like vitamins or fruits absolutely that we naturally so can just I, take. I, I did do some research um, the help, um, National uh, Institute of Health did have something system. online about what are some of the supplements that we can um, use to um, boost our immune system so it's noted that okay. um, vitamin C this is something that I mean I think within our community We've often like, hey, if you get a little scratchy throat, you start hitting that vitamin C. One of the things, though, I think that is that we're not um, doing it on a more of a consistent basis. So we, um, so some of what we're going to mention, some of these supplements are things that we need to really do on a consistent mm. basis. So they said high dose vitamin C is, how, is known to help to boost the immune system. So we, you know, we need to try to get that in our system. Interestingly, too, that we one of the other things that we don't think about is vitamin D that we mm-hmm. in our system. So, if you really think about the times that we're living in, especially now with um, COVID, mm. and you know, a lot of people are working from home, and um, we're not really going out as much. A lot of so the exposure to the sun and to get our vitamin D is it's a lot lower. And um, so it's really important for us to start taking our vitamin D supplements and, you know, because we need to, it, they are not completely sure 
how vitamin D works in helping to boost, but it's known that if your vitamin D levels are low, then you're at more at risk um, when it comes to like your immune system is not at its optimal. So that's one of the things that um, I even myself, you know, I have low vitamin D, so I have to take vitamin D supplements. I do it, you know, I try to do it religiously. I'm not going to act like I'm Miss Perfect because I'm obviously, I'm not. But mm. I try to take my vitamin D supplements every day. A lot of us um, who work inside consistently are low in vitamin D. And so it's something that we need to do. The um, zinc now, they said with zinc, they're not really sure. It's kind of like an indeterminate if zinc can help, but I don't think zinc is going to hurt because when you have um, any slight um, viral type symptoms that's, uh, that um, is oncoming, you feel it. You feel the little ache. You feel like, you know, the throat starts to itch. Like high dose by, um, zinc is known to help to reduce that. So zinc might not stop. COVID itself, but it might help to stop the cold that you might get associated with the COVID too, right? Mm -hmm. So it's good to just get um, those three main things that um, that I've seen um, and read about. So I'm not really sure. Elderberry have gotten like indeterminate answers, like maybe, maybe not. But these three definitely, they say this vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc should be a part of our um, daily supplements. Um, of course, everything else too, as we've mentioned, in order to get ourselves at its optimal, if you know you have any, any type of medical issues, if you know you're hypertensive, you try to get your blood pressure in as stable as um, range as you possibly can. If stable for you is 150s because you were usually at 190s, you get that down to the 150s and you try your best to stay there. You know what I mean? Um, if you are diabetic, you try your best to keep those blood sugars within the normal range. Like do your best because if you are at your healthiest, then you're more likely to be able to ward off these viruses. As you said, the flu virus, the flu season is coming, you know, you have colds and flu plus COVID never left. You, you want to be at your optimal for this mm -hmm. um, upcoming winter season. So try to reduce your stress as best as you can. Mm -hmm. um, those vitamins on board <laughs> and uh, also try to keep your underlying medical issues as yes. close to normal range as possible got it got it got it well dr beckford this was outstanding it was mm -hmm. amazing i mean you mm -hmm. shared so much information i just we have to have you on again so we can pick your brain about some other things <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're gonna be three healthier podcasts. Uh, yes. We're gonna have her back. We she's she's got to be the podcast doctor. Yes. checking myself right now. <laughs> so we got yeah. we got lists. We got I made a list. So this is great. Thank you so much. Tell the people again where they can find you uh, and where they can be seen by you. Sure. So you can find me at www.yourcaringdocs.com. That's U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. Also on Facebook slash Your Caring Docs and on Instagram. 
at your with the hashtag your caring docs. So um, the as we've mentioned, um, this is a telemedicine urgent care. I do provide uh, videos on information. I love to provide info, as you guys can see. I like to educate my patients yeah. with passion. So I do make some educational videos. Um, they I'll have um, Facebook Live videos every Friday at 6.30 um, Central Time, where I'll discuss a topic. Like we said last week's topic, was cellulitis. The topic before that um, was on a COVID toolkit, which I think would be interesting for your um, audience. If you go, you know, you can go to the Your Caring's um, Your Caring Docs Facebook page and you know look at the video, which I provide the three things that it's important mm -hmm. to at home um, during this COVID period um, to keep you know abreast of what's going on um, and. Uh, the your caring docs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, your caring docs. Um, the telemedicine urgent care company. It is. Uh, uh, we're gonna be live within a few weeks. Um, but I'm still gonna make videos prior to that. So I'll let you know once we are able to immediately take um, to be able to take on our uh mm -hmm. clientels and our customers and patients and take excellent care of you. One thing I do also want to stress is that. One of the differences between our telemedicine urgent care and a lot of the other um, urgent cares or some of the brick and mortar is that I'll be available overnight most nights. So Thursday night. So if you start to feel ill at 11 p.m., 2.30 a.m., 4 a.m., you just jump online and click and make an appointment and, you know, we'll be there to take care of you. So it's not, a, you know from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. and then at 9 p.m. you're like oh man I gotta wait in the morning no 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 no. we'll be here so as long as you see and yeah so overnight uh you know be here to take care of you overnight so just one thing I definitely wow. want you to know that this is an avenue that's there for you and for all of our you know listeners just if you see it's um an available slot just go ahead and make an appointment. We'll take excellent care of you. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Dr. Awesome. Beckford from You Are Caring Docs. So you are urgent care, awesome. almost like you are, awesome. but not. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, you're caring. You are <laughs> caring docs. Yeah, you're caring docs. So it was great having you on. So all right, Strange Fruit Podcast family. Um, this was an amazing, excellent show. You guys stay safe during covid um just stay safe this winter um and bishop adrian you guys have anything to add as we uh get ready to head on out uh, no ma'am this was incredible uh dr beckford was also featured on another podcast um and, mm -hmm. and i usually wouldn't this was pitch great. another podcast but i feel like this is for everyone's health and i think it was the the incubator Correct. The, uh, nice, Miss Leona. Yes. The the um, mm -hmm. and they talked to the the plans of action for Houston. So they um, talked to Dr. Bedford there too. So yeah. she was so much so so helpful to us. So I feel like she needs to. We need to make sure she gets out there. Awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll be. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. That's awesome. Guys. Yeah, this, Anytime. This, this is bigger than just the podcast. You bet. All right, and yeah, I'll be I'll be, uh, I'll be sharing your videos. Thank you so much, Doctor. So you guys, uh, uh, stay connected with us as always.
Thank you for listening to the latest edition of the Strange Fruit Podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, compliments, or criticism, please be sure to check out our Facebook page and sound off. See you next week. <laughs>